for your indulgence, very active indulgence is in promoting science, establishing new frontiers and also advancing new frontiers in science and that sense contributing to building the uh, whole environment of innovation uh, and uh, again uh, being part of it, inspiring uh, uh, youngsters, building their capacities and in a way contributing to science-led development in the country. Thank you very much, ma'am. Uh, Dr. Kambos, you know I don't have to really express uh, all those words in detail, but he has been in the forefront. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I have not uh, brought any slides. Uh, I came straight from a meeting, so I didn't, and earlier also I thought probably I'll be speaking few words, not taking long times, uh, long time to elaborate on what we are doing, but briefly touching up to, upon a uh, few issues uh, concerning uh, the theme of uh, this, uh, you know, uh, annual session and the symposium. Uh, India has uh, uh, done a wonderful job uh, in the field of agriculture. In fact, uh, last session of NASI, I delivered a lecture and I went prepared in English uh, and uh, our slides uh, to talk about uh, the uh, Indian philosophy and how it translates to modern agriculture. And then I was asked to deliver in Hindi, so I tried my best to do that. So, and also interact with the farmers there uh, in, the, in the Congress. So that was a very interesting situation for me. So though I don't speak Hindi properly, but try to interact. And then, uh, you know, oh, so, but then that was uh, very satisfying in the sense uh, that uh, in relating uh, the past uh, history, uh, traditions, and the knowledge system uh, to the current ones uh, was tough, but then uh, there were certainly links uh, to be found out and then established. Uh, still, we continue uh, doing that, but today I would be speaking on new paradigms in agricultural revolutions. Agricultural revolutions did happen in the past. My colleagues working in the field of agriculture and many who are concerned with agricultural developments would know very much. I don't have to really describe them, but very briefly I'll touch upon, uh, uh, you know, particularly emphasizing on the lessons learned out of these revolutions. The first one that is the green revolution that happened and that, that changed the whole scenario of food security and also the uh, you know, situation called ship to mouth uh, to uh, you know, leading us to the uh, today's context of uh, you know, problem of plenty. Uh, as it happened, as it was happening, what was very evident that technology science-led uh, innovations played a very significant role. We didn't have the technology. It was borrowed, introduced, and in the form of 18,000 uh, know, tons. It's a huge one. 
and then that was uh, you know directly after a bit of evaluation of uh, two three years they were spread all across uh, you know northwest plain zone uh, particularly punjab haryana western uttar pradesh and uh, that brought in a very very significant change our imports was increasing and it has gone beyond 8 million tons of wheat to feed the hungry bellies in 60s and that is the time the then honorable prime minister insisted upon bringing in a paradigm shift in our thinking process and implementation of new technologies on the ground so that we can sustain our own population without begging and borrowing so that is a kind of stand political stand that catalyzed the whole process the second important uh, decision that uh, enabled the revolution was the political decision to import large quantity of seeds of semidwarf wheat varieties you know from cement so that is another important political decision that enabled the revolution that is that was subsequently described as the green revolution the third one which actually preceded was the testing of the semidwarf varieties on farmers field situations and establishing unequivocally that they can contribute to uh, the uh, substantial yield advantage that we can derive uh so that uh, uh, scientific evidence based uh, the development and decision making enabled green revolution that's again the third important uh, innovation that we we can derive out of it that evidence based decision making uh, that helped it uh while these demonstrations are happening uh, you know or the farmers were brought in and they were shown that how technology can play the magic and how they can earn uh, uh, more profit more returns by growing uh, you know this kind of by accepting this kind of new varieties and technologies so that is uh, you know a kind of extension side of the story and how we can uh, you know uh, encourage farmers change their attitude by way of you know establishing that seeing is believing and uh, in the process promoting the technology which is not easy to promote so that was uh, done by way of showing them this field and that was called national demonstrations those days and the large scale demonstrations happened and and uh, in their fields in the farmers fields and they were very much convinced it was not just the variety uh, and the seeds which mattered what also mattered is the management technology the appropriate uh, amount of uh, you know kind of fertilizer particularly nitrogen and uh, phosphorus and potash these three an appropriate combination and that was applied and that yielded the appropriate results the management practices also played a significant role which were worked out based on experimentation so the seeds which were brought in were supported by the management practices so that is another lesson so they were indianized so and the process you know pushed to the field large scale by way of changing the attitude and behavior pattern of the farmers and then bringing in the revolution 
and irrigation also played a very significant role and those provisions were made and water availability is critical for any crop to survive and yield and express its full potential and that was also again you know made available so all these lessons which were learned that led to the revolution and which we didn't realize because you know starting from 66 to 72 almost 6 7 years in fact and when our import bill was brought down to zero and import you know in 68 69 we did import about 4.5 to 5 million tons for consumption and uh, earlier to that it was close to 8 to 9 million tons and then in 1972 what we had is zero import and that was complete import substitution that happened and then it was described as a green revolution and it didn't happen overnight and that we must note uh, very critically that how revolutions happen and how much time it takes to change the behavioral pattern of the farmers to bring in a revolution despite all the proven technologies and associated management practices being there in the, uh, on the field. So these six, seven years of elaborate analysis and efforts and also working with farmers hand in hand and on the field situation brought in this change and that was described as the revolution. We didn't describe the revolution, that was described by somebody else uh, from USDA and, and then we keep parroting the same thing, every one of us globally, uh, not just in India, that green revolution happened in India and more so it is recognized because the seeds came from outside, so maybe there were many outside to take credit, so obviously so that was highlighted. And the second revolution, so these are the kind of lessons we can uh, take home. The second revolution happened that, uh, in the form of white revolution. White revolution again, you know, a concept which was seen elsewhere and particularly in New Zealand. The way the milk was being produced, the way the milk was being marketed and then the way milk was supplied to the consumers. And given that example and, uh, and then there was, uh, the technology was imported. Dr. Burgess Korean who visited there and also other countries realized that this same model, the similar situation can be replicated in India. And that is what he came back and established that particular model. What are the lessons to learn from that? Very important one, that we need to have higher productivity of the local breeds. And that was done by way of introducing the exotic blood into the local germplasm and by way of crossbreeding insemination large scale using the two exotic breeds uh, that is uh, Holstein Frisian and Jersey. And by way of doing that, newer Indian kind of types were developed, they were stabilized, 60 to 70 percent of Indian blood and then subsequently the foreign blood and in terms of kind of overall uh, genetic component and that is how we stabilized and then these productivity gains could happen. But what also concomitantly happening is the management of health and that happened indigenously and the render paste which was affecting very seriously the productivity that was addressed and in fact completely eliminated subsequently 
and there are other issues with regard to health management and which we still continue uh, doing. And the recent uh, past, we are trying to eradicate the foot and mouth disease by way of all that. I'll not really describe because time would not permit that. So that was one important aspect that again, technology, uh, new technology, uh, you know, playing a very, very significant role. The second one, which also played a very significant role, was the kind of cooperative system of production and marketing. The small farmers who were brought together and their milk uh, produced by them was collected, cooperatives were built, and then subsequently processing and packaging and then supply system was established and it was distributed at different outlets for uh, consumption. This whole market chain was established and similar to green devolution, when the production was supported by procurement, MSP, and then distribution through public distribution system. So that's the kind of parallel you can draw between two revolutions, but the common theme was the new technology and promotion of that technology. In the second one, which came out very prominently in the white revolution, is the cooperative system of operation. And uh, that there, in fact, if you see the context in the context of the theme of the symposium, that the entrepreneurship and uh, how entrepreneurship can play a role, and that was actually inbuilt in that revolution, that was conceptualized and implemented, and that in fact continues today, and we are producing more than 185 million tons of milk, and for more than a decade we are number one producer globally of milk, and our growth rate is more than 6%. Nowhere in the world the growth rate of 6% is realized in not even the advanced countries where commercial production takes place with regard to milk by using high uh, you know, kind of uh, level of technology, uh, technology inputs and management inputs. So even 6% growth rate you don't see there. Uh, you know, you can question that if you start from a lower level, certainly the growth rate would be much higher. But then it's already, we are at the peak and this 6% is happening even last four or five years. If you see, analyze the growth rate, you find six to 7% growth rate in a milk production. And that is something which is a remarkable. We not only we enhanced you know, milk production during those days, but we continue doing that even today. So that's the kind of lesson we take home that the technology, and then the system of entrepreneurship. And I can tell you, every farmer's endeavor is an entrepreneurship endeavor. It is a private activity and private business in, the, in this uh, you know, world. And that is the largest private business globally. You can see, given this 140 million farm, uh, farm, farm families depending on agriculture, they are all private entrepreneurships. And this private entrepreneurship must succeed and they, unless otherwise they, it is beneficial to them, they will not continue doing this. And I'll come back to this point a little later, but, you know, time is also moving very fast. And the third one, the most recent one, you know, the revolutions, you know, there are many others, I'll not go into those. The recent one is the pulses revolution. We are importing pulses. We are vegetarian population predominantly here. No other country has so much of vegetarianism that we have in this country. And uh, you know, we are importing uh, to provide enough pulses 
to this vegetarian population for protein supplementation and uh, you know we are spending annually more than 10,000 crore rupees. And what was the thought three years ago that why we cannot be self-sufficient in pulses? If we are self-sufficient in food grains producing 285 million tons, more than 5.5 times as compared to 1950-51, and why we can't do that and replicate it in pulses? Given the kind of potential we have, given the kind of technology we have, we don't have to really beg and borrow for this with regard to technology. And that's the kind of policy decision, and in addition to the technology going to field, and played a key role in bringing this pulses revolution recent history, which is not really adequately described and recognized during those past three years. So in 2014-15, we imported close to 4.5 to 5 million tons of pulses, and prior to that, we were producing only 15 to 16, and some years, exceptional years, 17 million tons of pulses, but requiring more than 20 million tons to the extent of 25 million tons in certain years, so at least 23 million tons. So that's the kind of requirement, and we are procuring 4 to 5 million tons at least to meet the domestic requirement. So then what happened is the policy intervention that the enhanced MSP minimum support price and creation of a buffer stock, 2 million uh, you know, tons of buffer stock. And uh, then that was supported by the public procurement. And that encouraged farmers to go for pulses cultivation. But what was more important is the seed replacement rate was only 10%. And what we expect that for revolution to happen, at least 30 to 35% seed replacement. Replacement of the traditional varieties with modern high yielding varieties must happen. And uh, you know, unless that happens, you will not be able to realize the full potential and you will not be able to increase the yield to the level that will have a revolution. And that is what exactly we ensured that by creating 150 seed hubs in various locations of the country where pulses are being grown and produce that kind of seed for farmers to take and replace their own poor quality seeds. And that is how we enhance. And in addition to that, because of policy intervention, what increased was the area of cultivation and that also added. In the very past year, we increased the production by 6 million tons and completely eliminating the requirement of import and in the process, substituting import and then saving 10,000 crore rupees. And you will, you will be surprised to know what we provisioned was the only 500 crore rupees in the form of a pulse mission project and annually. So that is what was done. And then by way of providing seeds, by providing all other associated management practices and technology which we had already developed, and by way of this policy intervention, we, what we had is a bumper harvest, and out of the 6 million tons, our analysis revealed that 3.5 million tons came out of area expansion because of the policy intervention and inspiring situation for the farmers, and 2.5 million tons came out of productivity enhancement because of new seeds and because of new management practices going to the field. And thousands and thousands of demonstrations again happened through our Krishi Vigyan Kendras in the farmer's field, and that actually convinced the farmers that new seeds, new technology can bring this revolution. 
So that's the kind of lesson we can derive from the recent uh, revolution, the pulses revolution, making India self-sufficient and selling to the tune of 10,000 crore rupees per annum. So these three revolutions I placed before you, which taught us several lessons, and these lessons would continue, and we would continue learning these lessons as we go along. There are several other examples and stories to tell, but these are the kind of you know, interventions that brought us today what we are today. What are these new paradigm we have to really bring in? I'll spend a few minutes if you kindly allow, so that I finish this up, and I do not know how many minutes I have, so uh, I will borrow a few minutes and seek this you know, permission, so that I can tell you that what is that we need now? We have problem of plenty, as I said. We don't need 115 million tons of rice. We have uh, now 100, uh, you know, uh, 2 million tons of wheat, and we have sugar to the tune of 30, 32 million tons. And what is that we need? We need new business models, entrepreneurship models to actually have post-harvest interventions, you know, or adequate interventions, so that we address this, uh, you know, plenty that is sitting there with us. We do not know actually at this point in time how effectively we know but how effectively and efficiently we can utilize that particular plenty uh, you know, that we have harvested by now. And uh, so also in the process, how do we continue sustainable agricultural production systems? Because we cannot harm the production systems, the environment, and the process continue enhancing productivity. And while have, uh, having a sustainable production system, we must see that how we can give more returns to the farmers. Honorable Prime Minister has given the call that we have to enhance the double the farmers' income by 2022. And unless we reduce the input cost, unless we add value to the produce and have the market access and the market linkage and create value chains and the process engage more and more entrepreneurs in the whole value chain, we will not be able to double farmers' income and have sustainable production systems in this country. So what these two, three points I would like to mention Number one, that reducing input cost is so important. And I can cite one example, how we have built entrepreneurship to address this issue. That nitrogen, for instance, phosphorus and potassium and other nitrogen uh, nutrient components, we have to have balanced fertilizer application to sustain this productivity gains and without any detriment to soil health and environmental health. How do you do this? And you have to have soil test-based application of this. And there are various ways to do remote sensing and then other imaging platforms are going to be tested and new entrepreneurship to be built. But to start with, what we have created, a machine called Mrida Parishak, and which is only 80,000 rupees. Such a cheap machine that we have created through entrepreneurship models. And my colleagues from management, Natural Management uh, Resource Management Division would know this better. And engaging with a private partner from the very beginning, we developed this machine so that 14 to 15 parameters of soil can be tested within no time and using only such a small amount of resource that you can have this in place. And in fact, that entrepreneur has gone to produce thousands of these machines and supplied to the Krishi Vigyan Kendras, to the state governments to analyze the samples and then state uh, to the uh, recommend to the farmers what are the deficiencies in the soil uh, so that the fertilizer application can happen as per the requirement 
That's a great saving in terms of cost and also that the great saving with regard to soil health and also environmental pollution is a great kind of contribution and that has really contributing, has been contributing now, past two years it is there in the field, as a very important kind of contribution and that can contribute to farmer's income and also environmental health. And similarly, there are other areas of kind of developments in every field. And as I go, as I go, when there's a book, and my colleagues would distribute this book, and where we have created 104 startups, agri startups. They're all fresh uh, graduates, postgraduates, some of them engineers and IITNs, and some of them are undergoing now graduation process to be to become successful entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, in the process, IIM fellows are coming back to do agriculture and build entrepreneurship with regard to uh, processing and value addition. There are several areas of operation, and particularly in this particular area of processing and value addition, there is tremendous scope. I'll cite one more example of entrepreneurship model which can be built. And you, are, you know how Delhi pollution is uh, actually serious and uh, how all of us are concerned, particularly those who are living in Delhi. One of the important contributors has been the rice straw burning. The rice which is grown in Punjab and Haryana because the harvesting after rice, after harvest of rice and the growing of wheat, there's a very little time left and the farmers go for burning this. And we knew this problem several years ago and developed and designed a machine. There are two machines which have been designed. One was already there but not put to use as much. That is called straw management system which can be attached to the tractors, combined harvesters and then straw can be chopped into small pieces and sprayed on the field. And the other one, and that has been modified by us. And then the other one which invented and uh, by way of experimentation is called happy cedar. And you might have heard about it. And there is a lot, lot of negative reporting also happening, but I'll put the facts before you. And uh, this happy cedar, even though six inches of uh, straw, chopped straw is lying on the field, you can use this machine to sow wheat and then a beautiful crop comes up uh, piercing through the straw which is lying there on the field. And after building this particular machine, we have given to more than 30 manufacturers by way of you know, new entrepreneurs who have come into and also we have created custom hiring centers, again another set of uh, entrepreneurs who have built these custom hiring centers and taking these machines and putting there for hire and supporting mechanization and mechanized solution to straw management in the field situation. And in the process what has happened, the machine, the technology has gone to the field and side by side, you know, elaborate demonstrations again, the same principle of the successes of previous revolutions that was put in place and information, education and communication put in place large scale and then, you know, go, this machine going to the field. And I would request some of you who would be going to Punjab or Haryana should actually inform me, kindly inform me and I'll take you some up to some of these fields, how the beautiful wheat crop is growing and how successful it is. And what has happened actually in terms of pollution. In 2016, you know, when we started our demonstration process, the number of fire events were measured by using seven, eight different satellites during day and night. And all fire events were captured. 
and the total fire events was 126,000 in 2016. And by way of this intervention, large-scale demonstration and motivating farmers and inspiring them and providing these machines at subsidized rates and supply system happening through entrepreneurship, through custom hiring centers. And uh, what is happening, and this year what we have seen, that the fire events has, have, uh, has come down to just 61,000. More than 50% reduction in three years' time. Green Revolution didn't happen so you know, speedily as this particular revolution. And we say Green Revolution, it took six, seven years to bring down the you know, import to zero. And in this case, 52-53%, the fire events are brought down. But more importantly, the volume of straw which was burnt, the, the, the reporters don't report positives. They always report negatives. Even that one fire event, they just flash it up. And uh, you know, the number of uh, amount of straw which has been saved, 90% saved in Haryana. Can you imagine 90% saved straw saved in Haryana? Put into soil, improving carbon content. In six to seven years, carbon content is going to double. It has come down to very serious levels, threatening levels, 0 0.1, 0 0.2 in certain regions, and 0.3% carbon content in soil. And the fertility greatly depends on this. Now the carbon content in six years can be doubled. So that's the kind of situation. Even in Punjab, where most of the you know, straw is burnt, you have only 41% uh, of the straw being burnt and more than 60%, you know, or around 60% straw being saved in Punjab in these three years. So it's a kind of revolution which is not really adequately described and it will take a few more years actually to bring down to zero, you know, these straw or things. So what is that, you know, message I'm trying to give is this entrepreneurship which can be built by provide developing technology together by also developing technology and engaging with the entrepreneurs, manufacturers and also building, you know, uh, digital platforms to promote them. The digital platforms like Uber, the Uberization of these farm machinery is happening and once this happens large scale, the farmers can order the machines wherever they wish in you know, another one or two years time and then they can order their machines and bring in and then uh, do it. They do not really purchase this 